Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. I realize it's rather dark and gloomy today, but I hope that Christ shines in your hearts, and that you are glad that you came. Today, as you know, is the 22nd Sunday after Trinity. There are only, after today, three more Sundays left in the Trinity season, or in this present church year. And on this Sunday in the ancient Christian church, the epistle lesson was taken from Paul's letter to the Philippians. You recall that when Paul was on his second missionary journey, he came to the city of Philippi up in Macedonia. That was a Roman city. It was named after Philip of Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Great. And then years later, while Paul was in jail in Rome, he wrote this letter to that congregation that he had established at Philippi. And he tells them, I have you in my heart. He said, Philippian Christians, I love you dearly. I love you. You are precious in my sight. And because I have you in my heart, he said, this is my prayer for you. He said that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Because I have you in my heart, Philippians, I pray that when Christ comes again that you may stand before him faultless and blameless, that when you are there that you may be faultless before his throne, that when he comes again that you can stand there and he will find no fault, no blemish in you whatsoever, and that you will hear the words, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom because he had them in his heart that was his prayer for this congregation that he had established up in the city of Philippi and as a pastor of Emmanuel congregation on the basis of God's word uh, because I have you in my heart because I love you dearly as sheep in this flock it is my prayer for you also that you may stand faultless and blameless at the day of Jesus Christ. That is my prayer for you. You may say to me this morning, that pastor is a good prayer, but after all, isn't that a prayer that is unattainable? You say that you pray that we can stand on the day of Christ's coming without any spot or without any blemish, that we can stand and that he will not blame us for a thing, that he will find no fault in us, that everything will be just right and that on that day when he comes that we therefore may hear him say, Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You may say, That's a nice prayer, Pastor, and we're glad you have us in your heart, that you really love us. But after all, isn't that a prayer that tantalizes? You may say to me, you know, Pastor, as well as we do, that when he comes again, that he again has not told us of the day and the hour and the second, that when he comes again, he's going to come at a very uncertain second, at a very sudden second. And you may say to me, how in the world can we be able to stand faultless and blameless before him when we don't know when he's coming, and when he does come, it's going to be at an uncertain second, at an uncertain, at a sudden, at a surprise second. And you may say, Pastor, you know that it's utterly impossible. 
Well, therefore, for us to be able to stand and to be spotless, to be blameless before him, when you know as well as we do that he is coming at an uncertain second, that it's going to be a tremendous surprise. But again, because I have you in my heart, as Paul had the Philippian congregation in his heart, it is my prayer, my Christian friends, that you may stand faultless and blameless before him when he comes, because this is not a prayer to tantalize you. This is not holding something before you that is unattainable, and that you say, it just can't be done, Pastor. You just can't be that way. Who in the world can be ready, and who in the world can stand without guilt and without spot when he comes, when you know that it's going to be a sudden second when he comes. It's going to be a complete surprise. It is going to be an uncertain second. It can't be done. But I have this confidence, I would like to tell you as your pastor, the same confidence that Paul had when he wrote to the Philippians. And Paul said this, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. I have, my friends, members of this flock, the same confidence that the Apostle Paul had, and that is this, that Jesus Christ, who has begun a good work in you, who has called you to faith, who has made you a Christian, I've got this confidence in him that he will do everything that is possible so that you can stand blameless and faultless at that very uncertain second when he returns to this earth. I have that confidence. And you may say, you mean to say that Jesus does everything that is necessary, that he leaves nothing undone, that there isn't anything more that he could do so that we can actually stand and be faultless and be blameless at that sudden, unexpected second when he returns? I've got that much confidence in Jesus Christ that he'll never let you down that he does everything that is necessary that you can come through. He will never fail you. And I have that certainty for three reasons, and this is the first one. I have this confidence that Jesus Christ right now forgives you your sins of ignorance continually and without interruption, not even for one second. I would like to remind you, members of this flock, what Jesus Christ is doing for you right now. You may say, well, I know he came into the world and he suffered on the cross and died for me. I know that he bore salvation so that I can be saved with him. And I know that he arose from the dead. And I know that he went back to heaven. But do you realize what he's doing for you right now? The Word of God says that he sits at the right hand of God and he makes eternal, unending intercession for you. Right now he is praying the Father for you that the Father will forgive you for his sake because he died for your sins of ignorance, that the Father will allow flowing to you a continual and uninterrupted flow of the forgiveness of your sins of ignorance. And you may say, Preacher, what do you mean by sins of ignorance? You may say to me, look at the things that I do every day that are wrong. I'm not aware of them. How many things do I do, I think, or I say and I do, I think they're all right. But in my ignorance, on the basis of God's standard of right and wrong, I may be wrong. How in the world can I stand at that sudden second when he comes and be found faultless when every day in my life I am guilty of sins of ignorance? You know, Paul confessed about sins of ignorance one day. Paul said, I didn't know it was sin, except the law said, thou shalt not covet. In other words, Paul said, in my life there was a time that I didn't know that evil desire was a sin in the sight of God until I found it in the Word that coveting was a sin. 
There are sins of ignorance in your life and mine, things that you do every day and that I do every day. We're not aware of them. They are wrong. Our conscience doesn't trouble us, but you and I simply do not know that they are wrong. And we may say, how in the world, Pastor, can I ever be spotless? And how can I stand without fault in that sudden moment when he comes, when every day I may do hundreds of things that are wrong? But may I say to you, you know I have this confidence that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God, that he is eternally pleading for you, and that there is a constant, unceasing flow of forgiveness to you, that there isn't one millionth of a second in your life, but what there is, a constant flow from Jesus Christ of his forgiveness, so that even before you ask God to forgive you your sins of ignorance, they are constantly forgiven. There is not one millionth of a second in your Christian life. But what any sin of ignorance in your life is washed away continually, you are never without forgiveness for any sin of ignorance at any time. I would like to remind you of that. I have that confidence in my Lord who makes eternal, unending intercession for us. And therefore, you can come through. You can. Don't let anybody ever tell you you can't. You can stand at that sudden moment when he comes again and you can stand there and you can be absolutely faultless and you can be blameless because I've got this assurance in him as your pastor that he will never, never, he will never fault you for any sin of ignorance in your Christian life. May I use an illustration that is utterly impossible but I think it will illustrate the point. Supposing you are a Christian this morning, you have come to faith in Christ, but supposing that you have never heard that to murder anybody is wrong. Supposing that never has come into your mind, that's impossible because there isn't a Christian alive who doesn't know that the murder is wrong. But I'm assuming an impossible situation. I'm assuming that you're a Christian and that you don't know it's wrong to murder. If you were murdering somebody right now and that sudden moment would come when Christ in death would call you, you would not be lost. That's what I mean. Do you know of any greater comfort than that? Because there is a constant flow of forgiveness from him for your sins of ignorance and mine. If it was a sin of ignorance, he will never, never say, I fault you. No sin of ignorance will ever fault you and me. Whether when that coming is at the last day or whether it is that unexpected sudden moment in your life and mine when death comes. And therefore, again, because I have you in my heart, this is my prayer, that you may stand sincere and without offense at that day. And the reason why it is my prayer, even as Paul prayed it for the Philippian congregation, because I love you and because I know that it's possible. Don't let anyone within the sound of my voice say, a pastor, that's a prayer that is unattainable. You can't do it. I can't. I might as well give up now. I can't do it. I can never stand before a sudden second when he comes and be faultless and spotless. Oh, yes, you can. You certainly can. What kind of a Christ do you think you have? You think you've got a Christ that would start you on the Christian life and then fail you and come short and desert you? I should say not. Just as Paul said, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And therefore, because I have you in my heart, I hope you write it on your hearts this morning, that this is my prayer for you and that you will remember it, that you can stand faultless and blameless in that very sudden second when Christ comes again. And if you will write it on your heart, then I have this confidence 
that again you will want to continue in the fellowship of the gospel and you won't want to be a dropout. May I ask you what is really important in your life? What is the most important thing in your life? You know, we need to ask that question today because it's being asked in the church. What's the most important thing for the church to do? Here is Paul in jail in Rome writing this prison letter to the congregation at Philippi. What is he writing about? What's the most important thing? Is he writing and saying, I'm in jail. I want you to organize and I want you to come to Rome and I want you to go in and I want you to tell Caesar that they're holding me in a wrong way. I want you to organize and I want you to get me out of jail. Was that the most important thing Paul said? I thank God for your fellowship in the gospel. Paul says the most important thing, he says, as far as my life is concerned, that in that sudden moment when Christ comes again, either at death or at the end of time, that I can stand there and be faultless and be blameless. That's the most important. Do you know of anything more important than at that very moment to have Christ say, Come ye blessed of my Father? Is there anything more important than that? Oh, Paul, writing from prison, rejoiced. He remembered that on his second missionary journey, he came to the ancient city of Troy, and there he had the vision of the man of Macedonia saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And how again he set sail across the Aegean Sea and came into Europe, went up into Philippi and Macedonia, and how there on a Sabbath he met Lydia, the seller of purple, and she was the first convert in Europe. Paul was rejoicing. Why? Oh, in your fellowship in the gospel, he says, Hold on. The most important thing in the world. Paul was saying to the Christians, he said, because I have you in my heart, oh, that you can stand and you can be faultless and you can be blameless in that sudden second, that uncertain second when Christ comes again. And when you, again, are not going to be a dropout and say, this is the most important thing, then I know that this will be your joy, that you will escape the tragedy of not being able to stand before him in that sudden second and have him look and to say, again, I find fault. Again, you are faulty and I blame you. The tragedy of tragedies, not to be faultless and blameless and not to have Jesus say, come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Just as Paul wrote to the Philippians and said, I have you in my heart, I love you, members of the congregation. Therefore, my prayer for you is that you can stand faultless and blameless at that sudden second and you may say to me, oh, pastor, that's a tantalizing thing. You know it can't be done because of that sudden second because it's so uncertain. How in the world can I stand faultless and blameless when he comes either at death or at the end of time when I don't know when that second is? But listen, like Paul, I've got this confidence in Jesus Christ. What kind of a Christ do you think you have? Paul says, I've got this confidence that he which has begun a good work in you, he will keep it up until the day of Jesus Christ, or the day he comes again. What kind of a Christ do you have? Jesus does everything that is necessary so that you can, you can, I don't care who you are, I don't care what you are as a Christian, you can stand faultless and blameless in that sudden second because... In the second place, I've got this confidence in Christ, that Christ right now forgives you your sins of weakness. He forgives them continually and without interruption, without the interruption of one second. You may say, what is my Lord doing for me now? He started me on the Christian life, but what's he doing now? As he pleads at the right hand of God eternally, there is this, there is a constant flow of forgiveness from him and it doesn't stop for one second or for one millionth of a second that in all your sins of weakness, 
They are constantly forgiven even before you ever ask him. You may say, Pastor, what do you mean by my sins of weakness? I mean those sins that you and I will commit as long as we live. By sins of weakness, I mean those things in your life and mine that are wrong, and we know they're wrong, but again, we do them without our consent. They are the things we don't mean to do. Don't make this hard. Every day in your life and mine, there are things that we do that we say, I didn't mean to do that. How many times do you get an evil thought in your mind that you and I say, I didn't mean to think that? How many times have you on an impulse said something and you and I have said, I didn't mean to say that, that wasn't nice. I shouldn't have said that. I didn't mean to do that. I did that again on an impulse. That was not with my deliberateness. And how many times have you and I done something in a temptation and we found ourselves having fallen, we say, I never realized that again, that this would happen. I didn't mean to do that. I remember, again, people coming to me and say, oh, what terrible thoughts I get in my mind. And I have had people come to me and say, oh, the unkind things that I have said. I didn't mean to say that. It, didn't, it wasn't of my own volition. And I remember a mother coming to me with a little child. And she said to me, oh, believe me, she said, look how I whipped my child. Look at the welts on my little girl. I didn't mean to hit her so hard. But on an impulse, oh, I, I just lost my temper. God knows I didn't mean it. You know, that's the thing in your life and mine that's going to go on to the end of time, up to that very uncertain second when he comes. Paul said this. He said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. He was talking about these things of weakness, the things that you and I do every day. And we're sorry for them. We said, God, I didn't mean to do it. You know, how about those? What is Jesus doing about those sins of weakness? This is what he's doing. There is a constant, unceasing flow of forgiveness, like the mighty Niagara, you and I standing under it, that brings continual forgiveness that there isn't one second in your Christian life and mine. But what, again, any sin of weakness that you and I didn't mean to do is washed away and forgiven, that there's not one millionth of a second than we, where we are without forgiveness for that sin. That's the confidence I have in him and what he's doing. And therefore I know this, that when that sudden second comes, whether it's the end of time or the day of your death and mine, which will be uncertain, I know this, that my Christ will never, never fault you and say, I find blame in you for any sin of weakness in your life, even in that very sudden second. Let me illustrate. You may be on your deathbed tonight or not know it, and there may be in your mind as you're lying there, there may come the most horrible, sinful thoughts that could ever come to a human mind. And they may come and you may say, I don't want to be thinking them. And death could come just like that. You'd say to me, how could I stand faultless and blameless before Christ? May I assure you as your pastor that you will. Because those sins that you don't want to have happen, they are forgiven continually with every second of forgiveness even before you ask. And he will never, never, never fault you for any sin of weakness in your Christian life. Never. I've got that confidence. That's why I have you in my heart as Paul had the Philippian congregation as his heart. And that's why my prayer to you is this, that you can stand faultless and blameless in that sudden second because you can don't let anybody tell you you can't. 
There's no reason in the world why you can't be faultless and blameless at his coming in that sudden, unexpected, uncertain second line. What kind of a Christ do you think you have? And if you will write this prayer on your heart and to know that you can, this is not tantalizing. This is something that there isn't a Christian. There isn't any other person who, if he comes to faith in Jesus Christ, but what he can stand and be faultless. And if you write that on your heart this morning, then I know this, I'll have this come. You want to grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you want to grow in all manner of good fruits to be rich in good works so that you may be a comfort and an inspiration to other individuals. Paul was in jail, and here he is writing to the Christian congregation. And he loved this Christian congregation, the Philippian church, because of all the churches, this perhaps was the most noble of the whole bunch. When he was in jail, they of their own free will, they said, here's a man in jail, he probably needs help. They took up an offering. And then there was an Epaphroditus, a man in the church, and they sent him to Rome to take this to Paul. He can use it. It was the one congregation that again extended itself. And I suppose you and I are thinking as you've read your standard and we've all been pleasantly surprised where our Tom who wandered in here one Sunday, a boy you know with his parents over in South Africa as missionaries, went back to school and didn't have any money for tuition, how you opened your heart and he wrote up that story if you haven't seen it in our Lutheran standard for this week. And again, you may say a, a little thing on Emmanuel Congregation's part, but being rich in good works, how many lives may just a gesture of nobility and of goodness and of love, how many lives will be touched in this world because Christ laid a problem on your heart and mind one day. And when you and I then we say, I'm going to again, I'm going to let my love grow in his knowledge and I'm going to grow rich in good works in my life. Then there will be this joy also, the joy that your faith is still alive. Christ is keeping on. He hasn't failed you. When mercy comes in your life and mine and we help one another and we see need and there's goodness and there's mercy and there's kindness, then we can say to ourselves, my faith, shows itself in fruit. Christ is still carrying on that. I can have this confidence that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. What kind of a Christ do you have? You think he's left you to go alone? Mine hasn't. My Christ that I know, oh, he does everything so that I know that you can stand and be faultless and blameless and so can I. Because again, Let's realize this, that I know I have this confidence in my Christ, not only that he forgives sins of ignorance and sins of weakness, but I have this confidence that right now also Christ offers forgiveness for any deliberate or persistent sin in your life and mine, and he offers power against any temptation for any kind of deliberate sin that there is no necessity of any deliberate sin in your life and mine. You may say, but all right, Pastor, how about if I'm sinning deliberately? How about the things that I'm doing that I know are wrong and I do them anyhow? How about this, that I may be persisting in something that I know is wrong? I know it's wrong, but I'm doing it today and I'm going to do it tomorrow. I've got a Christ that right now says to you, friend, if there is a deliberate sin in your life and you are persisting in it, that he says, will you come right now? Will you go to the throne of grace and will you confess it and tell him you're sorry? And I know Christ who says, I forgive you. 
I forgive you with guilt and punishment. I will wipe that deliberate sin out of my mind forever and ever. I know of Christ, he doesn't care what that deliberate sin is. He doesn't care what that persistent sin is, how heinous it may be, how corrupt it may be, how ashamed you may be to admit it. But I've got a Christ who promises full pardon right now if you just turn and say, I'm sorry, forgive me. And this same Christ, what else is he doing? I've got a Christ that assures you of this, that they, he will give you all the power necessary that no deliberate sin need ever happen in your Christian experience from this moment on. You know, in your life and mine, there is no excuse for any deliberate sin. When again I see something that is wrong and I know it, Christ promises me that there's never a second in my life. But what there is a flow of power from him that if I turn and say, give me the strength, that I'll always be able to say no. There is no reason in God's world why the sudden moment of Christ's coming could ever find you and me in deliberate sin or in living in persistent sin. No reason in the world. There's all the power. No temptation will ever be so great that it can get you and me against our will to do that which we know is wrong. If we just turn to Christ and say, give me power, there is strength to say no. You can win. Because I have the certainty that on that sudden moment day, when Christ comes, he will never, never fault you for any willful sin or any persistent sin that he has forgiven. He will never say, but I remember you when. I remember your deliberate sin. I remember how you persisted in sin. Never. He will never say, I fault you and I find something wrong with you because in his forgiveness it's complete and he eradicates it from his mind forever. I remember your sins no more. But you may say, but supposing that sudden second comes and I am in deliberate sin, then of course he will find fault. But he will say, it's not my fault that I must fault you and blame you. You have rejected me. I have done everything that I could possibly do that I could look at you and say, come ye blessed of my Father, but you wouldn't let me. You deliberately turned your back on me. You deliberately sinned. That's why, because I have you in my heart, will you realize this, that this is my prayer, that you will be faultless and blameless at that sudden second, because this is not tantalizing. This is not something that is unattainable. You can do it. What kind of a Christ do you have? My Christ does everything necessary. There is no reason in God's world why you or why I should ever be faulted by him when he comes that day. That's why I would like to have you write it on your heart this morning. And then I have this confidence that you will forgive me all my faults and shortcomings as I have attempted as your pastor to hold before you this, that this is my prayer in its ultimate sense for you, that again, you might be faultless and blameless. You see, it's just 32 years ago this morning that I was installed as your pastor. I can remember a lot of nice things about coming to Marion. I can remember the time when a group of you came down to Grace Lutheran Church at Eaton, Ohio, and you visited my church. I remember it was Harry and Mrs. Albright and daughter Helen Louise. 
and it was Raymond Roker and Mrs. Roker, and it was Ivan Graham and Mrs. Graham and daughter Genevieve. I remember when they came down and occupied a rather full pew in a small church. When they talked about you meeting the pastor, and I remember when the Holy Spirit led you and you sent me a call. And I remember that in the remaining Sundays that I had as pastor that Frank and Mrs. Whitler came to church at Eaton one Sunday. And I shall never forget one of my good Christian ladies walked up to the Whitlers and she said, uh, can't you let us have him for the last couple of Sundays that we've got? Can't you wait till he comes to marry? You know, I was thinking about that. And then yesterday morning at 8.30, my phone rang and it was long distance. And this was rather a peculiar thing. It was a member of my former church at Eaton, Ohio. And he said, maybe you haven't heard it, but our pastor has gone. And I said, no, I had not. He had taken a call to Florida. And he said to me, and this was quite a shock and a pleasant surprise, and I wanted to share it with you. He said, we have had a meeting here, and we, again, wondered whether you'd like to come back and whether you would like to start your ministry again where you began it the first time. Would you like to come back to Grace Lutheran Church, Eaton, Ohio, and to be our pastor? I, I thanked him, and it was quite a shock, and I said... It does my heart good to think after 32 years you would still think of me. I thought you had forgotten. But again, this has been the joy since that phone call, that to think that after 32 years a former congregation would still want to hear the gospel. This is what I preached there for six years, what I have preached here for 32 years, that again they would want to hear this that again it's possible to stand and to be faultless and to be blameless before the throne of God. That is a joy to be sure. And as we go on in our Christian experience here at Emmanuel, going into the 33rd year, I hope that you will forgive me as a human being with all the many mistakes, but again to hold before you this glorious challenge that you can. You can be faultless and you can be blameless when he comes again in that sudden second. That's the kind of a Christ that I have tried to preach and that you may have the joy of looking forward to that sudden second with joy and on tiptoe and with eager anticipation. I hope that no one in this flock of Emmanuel would ever say, oh, I can't go on, Pastor. I can't make it. I, I can't be spotless and blameless and faultless. And may I say, oh, yes, you can. What kind of a Christ do you have? My hope and prayer is that you can walk the glory road and you can sing. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. No merit of my own I claim, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Christe blutung gerechtigkeit, das ist mein Schmuck und Ehrenkleid. Damit will ich vor Gott bestehen, wenn ich zum Himmel wertein gehen. Maybe as a child you learned it that way. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone. And then here's the line, faultless to stand before the throne. You can stand faultless before that throne, friend. You can hear him say, 
I have no fault. I have no blame to find in you. Come, ye blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world because you can stand and walk the glory road. You can say, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. On this, my 32nd anniversary, this is my wish for you because, you see, I have you in my heart. The peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Mm-hmm.